HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Start exploring Audible with a free 30-day trial now. Visit audible.com slash HRN or text HRN to 500-500. This week on Meet and 3, we're looking at things that have changed and things that are still in flux. From mothers balancing new lifestyles to the social stigma surrounding pumpkin spice. You got rid of the star rating system and talked about like, I'm not going to use the word ethnic when I talk about food. They recognized that safety was our motivation, and, and they were very you know, receptive to the changes, understanding what we were trying to accomplish. A cupcake or a piece of bacon or a glass of rosé is not inherently gendered. Tune in to Meet and 3 HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, welcome to Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. I'm Aaron Sanchez, and I'm here with my lovely and talented mother, Sarela Martinez. And today we have the distinct and honor of inviting a special, special guest, Miss Ann Mendelson. Now, for all of those who are not familiar with Ann, she is just a force of nature, a scholar in food. She's just a wealth of knowledge. And um, Ann has actually co-written... Uh, all of my mom's books, Food from My Heart, The Food and Life of Oaxaca in Sarelas Veracruz, um, you know, started as a cookbook reviewer for Bon Appetit. And in 2010, she was awarded a Guggenheim Fellowship. That's a huge deal. She helped found the Culinary Historians of New York, and she's a contributing editor for at Gourmet, as well as New York Times Dining. So we, with a warm welcome, we, we say hello, and how are you? I am delighted to see you. Uh, I've known this kid since he was 15. <laughs> 15, yeah and, yeah. and I've been working with you for I don't know how many years, like 20 years, 30 years now. You know, it's it's unusual to have a co-author for three books. Usually co-authors get into horrible fights and they never talk to each other again. But Anne can do my, my books for here to eternity. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, today on Cooking in Mexican from A to Z, we're going to be focusing on the triple bounty of squashes. So we're talking about the blossom, the fruit, and the seed. Uh, and since you are uh, the authority in all things that come from the ground um, and other things, uh, 
let's talk a little bit about the different variations and and the different parts of squashes and the seasonality of it and just like a brief overview of of the world of squashes well if you want to start an argument um, just ask somebody to define squash what is a squash because they can be so many things um, and they can be used so many ways and it was the peoples of the new world who took these tiny little bitter wild things and turned them into just a wealth of different incredibly different um, kinds of plant that can be used for different purposes um, at different stages of maturity as mm. uh, Serana reminded me and you you would hardly know that this little zucchini here is a squash and then there's this like 150 pound monster um, somewhere in the Andes that's mm. also a squash um, <laughs> and different parts of them uh, can be exploited and were exploited uh, by all the pre-Hispanic peoples mm. uh, from uh, the, well, the ground up. Uh, anyhow, they would use the vines, they would use the leaves, um, they grew them into... The flowers, um, we can't forget the, the flowers. Yeah, the flowers, which happened before anything else. Um, we can talk later about there being two sexes of flowers, uh -huh. uh, male and female. Um, and... You could take the fruit, it is botanically a fruit, though you use it as a vegetable, mm. um, at different stages, uh, when it was young and tender. Uh, this is what we in America call summer squash. Mm -hmm. uh, you could let it mature um, to its full size uh, when it would have kind of a hard rind and the firm flesh inside, um, and that would be a winter squash. Uh, and you could cut it open um, and take out the seeds um, and use them of the way people in old world cuisines used nuts. Uh, they didn't have very many um, nut trees um, in Mexico. I think maybe pecans was about it. So the pumpkin seeds, they did duty uh, for nuts in all kinds of um, sauces, sauces. and moles. And, you mm -hmm. know, this, one of the things that fascinates me about Mexican culinary culture is that they use a plant at every single stage of its development. You know, interestingly to me, the, the interesting thing is like the seeds we were talking on the way over here about, you know, people normally think of it as using them as snacks. You know, here they toast them. And, but actually in, Vera, in, in Yucatan, it is a huge ingredient. We were, we were talking about two main dishes that uh, sauces, one of them is called Siklipak, and don't ask me to spell it right now, <laughs> but it starts with an X. Mm -hmm. and, and the other one is called Papatsules, mm -hmm. which are this egg, uh, hard-boiled eggs, uh, tacos, where they, where they make a sauce with the pumpkin seeds that they manipulate. You have to tell me how they do it, because they, they manipulate it and manipulate it until this, the seeds excrete this oil, that is then used to decorate the plate. Oh, that's so cool. I know. Yeah, the papadulces are... Papatsules. Uh, papatsules, excuse me. And, um, and of course, the, the cyclic pack uh, are, are, are staples in the, in the Yucatan cuisine. So I think it's safe to say that squashes is one of the, the pillars of the Mesoamerican diet, right? We're talking about cor corn, talk about squashes, mm -hmm. chilies, those sorts of things. Uh, and 
you, you touched briefly on, on the different parts of the squash being utilized. What, um, what are some of the ways that you think it, the, the heirloom varieties have made an impact? Are people rescuing heirloom varietals of squashes nowadays? Yes, they are. I'm not an expert. Um, I don't know much about them. But squashes are very interesting um, to breed because um, they're different species that kind of all blend into each other and interbreed in gardens. It's uh, hard to breed them true from seed uh, without taking extra precautions. But I think there's an enormous interest in Mexican varieties that were being used uh, before everything got improved. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. You know, let me let me tell you a story because you, you stopped me when we were talking about Sidley Buck. You know, the Culinary Institute of America had this wonderful co- uh, conference at one time on Mexican regional cuisines. And they brought this cook from Yucatan, Silvio Garcia Moreno, something like that. But he, was, he became very famous. And he did this, the opening lunch to this conference. And they built a peeb, which is the uh, hole in the ground to cook the pork, <laughs> to make cochinita bibil. And he had every little classic dish for this lunch, ex- including siglipac, which is like a ground pumpkin seed salad. Anyway, so after lunch, we brought him up on stage and, and they, we introduced him, and everybody stood up and started clapping, and he started crying and crying and crying and couldn't stop crying, and finally stopped and said, I thank the Culinary Institute of America for allowing me to put the name of my community so high. That's beautiful. Yeah. There's a lot of pride there in, 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 in the Yucatan. So, Mom, do you want to talk a little bit about, I know that you have very vivid memories of squashes when you were at the ranch in, in Mexico where you grew up. Uh, what are some of those memories? Well, the, first of all, in season, we ate zucchini, calabacitas con queso. And we, you know, we made this, you know, I have a, a modern way of making this calabacitas con queso. You know, let's say that you have a, made a salsa mm-hmm. with tomato scallion, jalapeno, and cilantro. You saute your leftover salsa, or you make it to order, saute it, add the chopped zucchini, a little bit of water, mm-hmm. and, and cook it, and in 10 minutes you have the most amazing dish because you put in some corn and some cheese, and if you want a little bit of cream, if mm-hmm. not, it's a perfect vegetarian, vegan kind of dish if you eliminate the cheese, of course. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, I mean, it's just, that was the only fresh thing you could eat. You know, we were at 7,000 feet, and, and so we didn't have a lot of things that we grew there. And what state of Mexico was that in, Mom? That was in Chihuahua. In Chihuahua. But, you know, the thing is that, uh, that we also had this, this thing that was wonderful, it was a treat, 
when the zucchini got to be too big, you know, where they become seedy and bitter and everything, my mom would cut it as you would cut an apple, you know, like in circles like that. Mm -hmm. And then she would sun dry it. So then in the winter, when, uh, when we didn't have anything fresh, she would make a stew with that. Oh. And they were called bichigoris. And that's part of the Yaqui tradition. And the Yaqui being the indigenous people of, in that uh, area. Of Sonora, yeah. Of Sonora. But I, I, came to know, I came to know uses later on, not so much in the ranch, but when I was sent off to finishing school. Mm. And, uh, and there I learned how to make this amazing zucchini bread with rice flour. And I think, was that in your mom's book or your book, Mom? My book, yeah. Food from My Heart, the whole story. Yeah, that, I remember that recipe very distinctly. And let's talk a little bit about some of the different parts of the squash, right? Let's talk a little bit about uh, this, the actual squash blossom, because that is the first thing that you see when, it, when it, it's exposed from the ground, correct? Or no? Well, no, the, the, vine, the, vine. the vine grows in the leaves and uh, then the blossoms appear yeah. uh, sometime in early summer. Well, they're very pretty. Mm -hmm. Squashes have these lovely, <clears throat> these orange-colored blossoms. And I won't bother you with the botanical details, but some <laughs> of them are male. They have stamens. How can you tell? They have stamens, different shapes. You have to talk sweet to it. <laughs> uh, different shapes. The male ones have um, stamens, and, yeah. you know, uh, pollen. Uh, the female ones have pistils, and uh, they develop, a, well, they have an ovary. Uh, the fertilized ovary is going to develop into the fruit. And if you pick those, you have a chance of finding that there isn't any room inside the squash blossom because this new little squash is oh, already ah. um, growing inside. I didn't know Therefore, that. Therefore, <laughs> um, you pick the male blossoms, and uh, they have different shapes. I love that. So they're, <laughs> they're commonly referred to in Mexico as flor de calabaza, hmm? right? And uh, in Italy, what's the name for them in Italy? Because they're used quite a bit. Oh, my God. Um, Fiori. Yeah, well, Fiori de Calabaza. Fiori de Tsuka? Yeah, maybe. Something like that, Fiori de Tsuka. Um, but they're wonderful. I mean, some of the different applications I've used over the years is, you know, I stuff them with queso fresco, a little bit of fresh herb, maybe an egg or two, and a binder and make a filling and pipe it in there and then lightly fry it and serve it with like a salsa ranchera or, or, or tomato-based sauce. Well, and it's I the perfect expression of, of summer. And yeah, well, I like to I like to cook them in the broth. Yeah, without without frying, mm -hmm. you know, you stuff them and then turn like that, and then cook it like that, or make it into a frittata. Yeah, they're great too. Well, Americans love uh, Americans love fried food, uh -huh. mom. That's why I uh, go that in, route. In Italy, they also um, dip them in a batter and deep fry them. Almost like the same batter you would do like a frito misto with. Mm -hmm. Very similar to that. Uh, yeah, you know. They're great. I don't think that they're abundant in flavor. They're very sort of neutral. Delicate uh, is the, the delicate. <laughs> <laughs> Subtle. Subtle, perhaps. So you got you got they're, they're a great vehicle. So how about that? <laughs> no, but uh, they they taste they taste wonderful. They're very subtle in flavor. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, mom, is it, there's there's recipes in, in traditional Mexican res, uh, recipes that call for soups to have the, the, the flor de calabaza or the squash blossoms lightly 
fold it in, right? Yeah, but also, you know, the soups that the first soup that of the season, even though we do have ramps in in Veracruz and places like that, are the little tendrils mm-hmm. of the of the squash blossoms, and they make a soup called yeah. sopa de guia. Yeah. And then when when you have more, you add the guias, and then you add the flowers, and it's. And poblano, some sort of poblano chili or, yeah. or, or some sort of green chili. It wonderful. sounds wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the pumpkin seeds. Uh, you touched on it briefly, Mom, but let's talk about the, the, the wonderful pepian. And, oh, and, and yeah. let's touch a little bit about, about how significant that recipe is and how important and, 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 and vital role the pumpkin seeds play in that. It's really all about the pumpkin seeds, the pepian. Yeah, well, can, I, can I just yeah. inter- interrupt for a second and say some um, scholars believe that um, the most important reason the indigenous people started domesticating squashes was for the seeds. Yeah, I believe that. Because, as you said, there weren't any nuts. Yeah, so they use it as thickeners as well. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back and say what a pipian is. Yes. Because a pipian is a type of mole, which means that it's a pureed sauce, and but made with seeds. So it could be sesame seed, it could be corn, pumpkin. it could be pumpkin seed. What other seed? Well, I guess sunflower, but they didn't use that in Mexico so much. So you mean they were making pipianes somewhere else? (laughs) (laughs) Copying us? (laughs) So then then you puree it, and normally that has a lot of the green herbs that we're going to be covering soon. Mm. It'll have, you know, all different kinds. It'll have cilantro. It'll have pipicha. Mm -hmm. Pipicha, which is a very intense herb. Yeah. Um, Hoja santa, which we're going to be touching on. Epazote. Epazote. Epazote is not no, no. really used so much. It's used in beans. Epazote is used in and beans. Mushrooms. And mushrooms. Yeah, mushrooms. And with the coche. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But the pepian, very interesting. You know, I the way I make my pepians is a little different. Uh, please forgive me, Mom. But I start with the base. And instead of folding in the herbs at, at, when we puree the sauce, I actually make a green puree on the side mm-hmm. with all those herbs that were forementioned. And then when I when I when I'm going to serve the dish, I put that fresh green herb puree in the, the pepian to kind of make it really green and vibrant. Yeah. So I do a little different. So well, of course, just for you, while you're a star. No, not at all, mommy. Not well, at all. There's um, another aspect of this, is that. Um, People were making pipiones in Mexico before the Spanish got here. Mm-hmm. It's one of the oldest of the indigenous Mexican dishes. Yeah. Um, and I think the Spanish were interested because they also had sauces that were made from ground nuts, like uh, the Catalan romesco. Yeah. So they recognized, here's something, you know, this is a cuisine. These people know what they're doing. Absolutely. I have a very good description of the the mixing of Spanish and, and Mexican ingredients. I say that the Spanish brought all the old world I- ingredients like lard and poultry and spices, olives, all that. And the Mexicans contributed all the native ingredients that we're covering in this series. Mm -hmm. And they adopted each other's um, ingredients and cooked them their way. Mm -hmm. And then the Mexicans took the, the, the Spanish ingredients and cooked them their way. 
So this huge, wonderful cuisine was born out of the two. But and you know, how did the pumpkin go all around the world like so fast? People must have just liked it. The Spanish and the Portuguese, they took these things that they cannibalized from the New World. Um, they took them all around the planet. So the squashes, and um, have we done with the squash pumpkin distinction? Can we ignore that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they took squashes, and um, pumpkins were among the squashes, uh, back to Europe, and um, people... Well, I think in England, nobody knew exactly what to do with them except breed them into monstrosities like vegetable marrows that win prizes at fairs and taste like cardboard. Um, (laughs) In Austria, they said, aha, and they planted these pumpkins and um, they used the seeds uh, to make an oil. Mm. They... Uh, didn't do it like these Yucatecan cooks making the papatsolos. They just took the seeds and ground them all the way and ex- extracted the oil. Um, and it's one of the most uh, interesting tasting and high-priced cooking, uh, well, not cooking, flavoring oils there is. Mm. Um, then um, the big meaty pumpkins, they got to Africa and uh, the Africans um, did wonderful things breeding them there and took them back when they were enslaved, took them back to the Caribbean plantations, and Sorella knows about the influence there. Oh, yeah, because, you know, in, in Veracruz, when Cortés landed there in 1519, he already had an African slave with him. And they 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 brought all their their foods, you know, like the roots and the malangas, the yucas. That's all associated with with African cuisine. Plantains. And one of the things that I learned that is probably what my favorite recipe in my book, Sarelas Veracruz, is this pork with with a pumpkin mm-hmm. sauce. And you know, there too, they cook things twice. So you cook the pork, and then you cook the pumpkin in the pork stock. You know, so that that's another layer of flavor, which is one of the things that characterizes my, my cooking. And then it has the certain kind of spices associated with African cooking, which are the cilantro seeds, which you have to tell me why, and then the cumin, and a little bit of vinegar, and it's the simplest thing to make, and it is fantastic. So the, yeah, you've cooked it many times for us, Mom, and I have to say it's one of the one of the most delicious dishes in your repertoire. Yeah, and it's when you say a sauce, it's more like a a, a loose puree. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, but it, but if you puree it more, it makes a delicious soup. Yeah, there you go. Um, it is truly delicious. Uh, so that's one of the recipes that's featured in in your most recent book, Sarelas Veracruz, right? Uh-huh. Mexico's melting pot. All right, so. And you talked about the Portuguese in different places getting the squash kind of migrating around the world. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's because it had really good? It was it was able to to sustain itself and, and kind of it, it, you know not go bad basically for for the layman. You know, I think it's a very versatile plant. Yeah, um, it's just um, I mean the botanists know about this, but it's it's very adaptable so long as you stick to warm climates. It's at its best in the tropics. 
when you get to regions where there's frost in the winter, well, you, there are fewer varieties that you can grow. But in the African tropics, um, these big, meaty kinds, they, they just thrived, and uh, people bred them. Uh, they didn't just stick with what arrived from the New World. Uh, they worked with it and uh, developed it into varieties that were adapted um, to each climate. And how do they eat them? Well, the Africans, they they cooked the, you know, the big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how many people are familiar with, they call them West Indian squashes, and, mm-hmm. you know, um, they're like jack-o'-lantern pumpkins, except that the jack-o'-lanterns taste terrible, and these things, <laughs> they, they have firm, meaty, sweet, delicious flesh. They're very nutritious because uh, there's a lot of vitamins in these orange-colored um, vegetables, um, and they used them um, to make purees, to you know, to mash up, uh, but also to cook in, in slabs. Yeah. So it takes up the place of meat in a way. Yeah, it has that very meaty uh, texture. Yeah, the, the, the West Indian pumpkin that you had just mentioned, uh, also called calabaza, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, in the, Puerto, in the Puerto Rican culture, it's a very funny thing. When you start dating somebody... Mm. You put in a, a pumpkin in your in your fridge. You can either cut it in half and do a big old piece of it. And if it goes bad, it means that that person's not good for you. <laughs> so because they're they're very they're very durable. They're, they're, they're very, very so you durable. you can put them in the, your fridge and they'll last forever. Mm-hmm. Even cut open L- longer than the relationship. <laughs> exactly. So it's something very funny that they do in Puerto Rico with the calabaza. Well, so <laughs> you know the other thing is that the pumpkin seeds. And the the pumpkin are used for candies. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I like the best of all is this, you know... The calabaza and tacha, no? Calabaza and tacha, which, where, where you cook it in um, in uh, piloncillo, and then one day cook it, and then you take it off the heat, then the next day you cook it again, take it off the heat, like, until the syrup has condensed, and all the little tendrils of the of the pumpkin become crystallized. Mm-hmm. So when you're eating them, it, there's a little crunch, and it's just wonderful. And it's a great little snack that you can carry with you. It's You know, it's like one of these little sort of confections that are just fantastic. And I think some of the calabazas, I think, do a great job of living in both worlds, sweet yeah. and savory. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of the f- it's one of those few ingredients that can play in both in both arenas and and, and really just be truly delicious. And the zucchini, you know, the other way that I use them is that I shred them and make them into cakes, into little zucchini cakes. Yeah. I learned that from my Turkish boyfriend, Aitun. Yeah. Well, what What are they like? Are they like tortitas? Yeah, the tortitas. They're like yeah. fritters. Yeah, like fritters. They're delicious. Mostly herbs. Mm. The zucchini, which you have to salt the day before. Yeah. And then squeeze yeah. out all that bitterness. Mix it with, with some cheese, queso, cotija, or añejo. Then you put it in uh, all sorts of herbs, cilantro, perejil, you know, whatever herbs you want, You an, an egg. You form them into tortitas, you fry them, and then you serve them. 
And these are one of those things that actually are tasty when you they sit for a little bit. Yeah. Like you don't have to necessarily serve them right out of the oil or, or you know, or, or, as soon as you cook them, they're delicious. Oh, I love those in Turkish restaurants. Yeah. Mujver, they're yeah. called mujver. Mujver, yeah. And uh, yeah, I just think they're fantastic. So the idea, right, we're talking about squashes and, and pepitas and flor de calabaza. You know, when we, we talk about the tendrils and it's... And it's uh, all the delicious parts of it. Are there recipes out there that utilize just the tendrils, Anne? Or are they used primarily just for crop cover? Because I know that that's something maybe we haven't talked about. Yeah. What they do is that they plant the corn, the beans, and the squash together. And the squash is a cover, and it provides the nitrogen, no? It's this vine that just spreads out. Um, it has wide leaves that mm -hmm. make good shade. Yeah, yeah, and there are recipes just for the tendrils, the yeah. caldo de guia. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. Speaking of zucchini, a good friend of mine, Jimmy Bradley, who I owe a lot to really help me start my career, he at his restaurant Red Cat that he had for many years, 20 years, he had one of his signature dishes was sautéed zucchini, a little bit of garlic and almonds on top, and toasted almonds, and with some shaved shaved parmesan on chop, on top and it was just wonderful simple um and that just i can still taste it so a little shout out to you jimmy bradley who also had his own show here on heritage radio network so it's a lot of love for him you know the other thing people don't cook zucchini so much at home but what i do is that i slice them thinly all the way across and put them in a pan brush them with garlic and olive oil and 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 broil them and it makes a delicious vegetable dish of course i put like chile limon on top <laughs> oh which is great yeah chile limon is on top and then i serve it and it's a perfect diet food and something that you could do like in a flash you uh, cut them lengthwise yeah. Lengthwise. Yeah, yeah i like doing them like that i like to score them too mm -hmm. uh, you know and, and really and really sort of open them up so all that beautiful flavor can get in there uh, Let's talk, mommy, about the, the calabazas, what we what we call the, the the lighter colored squash, the little globe uh, calabazas that are used in Mexico, mom. They're, they're stuffed. Yeah, you you stuff them, but just talk talk about the shape. You know, everyone assumes that that fresh squash is long, like looks like a zucchini or a yellow squash, but these squash in reality are like little globes, right? They're yeah. like little little ball. Can you talk a little bit about those particular kinds of calabazas? Because I think the flavor is wonderful. Yeah, well, we usually stuff them with a picadillo. Yeah. You know, and then and then boil, cook them in a, in a caldillo de tomate, which is just a simple tomato sauce just with garlic, jalapeno, garlic, uh, onion, cooked very quickly and pureed, and we serve that with a, we cook that, you know, the, the zucchini in this sauce. Well, when they got to the Middle East and their world travels, uh, mm -hmm. when summer squashes, the, the long, skinny ones, um, got to like the Lebanon, Lebanon mm -hmm. and Turkey and so forth, uh, people there love stuffed vegetables. Um, they would core them out lengthwise and fill them with, I don't know, like pine nuts and chopped lamb. Mm, yeah. That sounds wonderful. So you said earlier picadillo, mommy, so you're referring to that very traditional Mexican dish that's, you know, ground meat, you know, seasoned with different spices and cooked down with onion and times tomato, correct? Is that yeah, what you're talking about? A, well, not always tomato, but, you know, but different things. Like, for, for instance, Veracruz is a picadillo de pobre. Yeah. And it has... And it has uh, 
Chayotes in it. Yeah. Mm. And then you have the tradition, like Picadillo that has potato and olives and just ground beef. Yeah. Like, you know, the very traditional kind of northern style. So is a chayote considered a squash? It's yeah. a relative. Uh, it's a very close relative. I mean, in the family tree, um, it's a, a branch. Yeah, so, but, you know, you talk about the, the awesome chayote. I live now in New Orleans, and we call it Merleton. Yeah. And in the Caribbean, it's called Chocho or Christophe mm-hmm. as well. And, um, yeah, the chayote, I, I think it's not utilized enough personally. You know, a lot of recipes. This is boring. Yeah, I do, exactly. <laughs> See, there you go. It's subtle in flavor. Yeah. Um, but it does, it's, it has a high water content. Mm-hmm. You know, it's necess- It's very kind of neutral in flavor. It, they, they stuff them in, in, in New Orleans very, very typically, uh, which we would call a dressing. But... Um, yeah, the chayote is something I think that's overlooked a lot. Well, I always remember Sorella saying that the spiny ones, I mean, they're smooth-skinned mm-hmm. ones, and then there are ones that have these spines all over them. You say that the spiny ones have more flavor. Well, yeah, if you ever go to Veracruz, particularly Coscobatepec or near Orizaba, mm-hmm. where the people are called chayoteros, mm-hmm. you see all these wonderful setups like... Trellises. Trellises. Mm -hmm. And then you see the fruit hanging from there. And they have chayotes that are black, white, pale green, dark green, spines, no spines. And those, because they grow and mature on the tree, are very flavorful. Yeah. And I think that would be considered a squash. Squash relative. Yeah. Because you also make these wonderful dishes with the roots. Yeah. It's called chayotexle mm-hmm. and the seeds. Yeah. Yeah. And you, um, when you were working on the Veracruz book, when um, we were you working. said, why on earth don't Americans use the root? It's one of the most delicious parts of the chayote plant. Yeah. It's like, why don't people use the heart, the hearts of palm, yep. which is delicious as well. I think you fired up Anne, Mom, about the debate of the chayote being related to the squash. Well, uh, She's going to go back to her office and no, research this diligently. No, I'm just going to tell you that if you're <laughs> looking it up in a botanical dictionary, the squashes and pumpkins will be under one handle, and the chayotes will be under another handle. See, this is why I love to work with this lady. You know, she knows everything about everything, and more than anything, knows how to express it beautifully on paper. And and with no pretension. You do it with such common grace. It's really just so wonderful, and we are so blessed to have you here. This is unreal. I just, I'm like taken back myself. Who, who would have thought the, the very humble the humble squash and pumpkin would, would get all this love. I love it. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is your one-stop location for spoken word entertainment and audio books. You can find everything from bestsellers to new releases and even celebrity memoirs. In fact, you can find my memoir on Audible. In it, I share stories from my life before people recognize me from TV. Search Audible for the title, Where I Come From, Life Lessons from a Latino Chef. Now, my mom and I share many stories in this podcast, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. In my memoir, I talk about all the beautiful life lessons that my mom passed down to me that I still use every day. Audible members get one credit every month. So if you join now, you can check out my memoir today 
Audible members also have full access to the Plus catalog and can listen all they want to thousands of included titles. Start exploring Audible with a free 30-day trial now. Visit audible.com slash HRN or text HRN to 500-500. All right, mom. So we talked a lot about different recipes, applications, maybe some stuff I do at the restaurant, some stuff that you've done growing up and eaten. What about the soups? Oh, the soups is a whole world unto itself. I think the the most well-known one is, for me, is my mom's cocido. Think of a New England boiled dinner. mm. And my mom had a very particular way of making it. She would get the meat, you know, like the one with the marrow in it, the shank, and then some other good meat, and she would cook that for maybe an hour with some mashed garlic, because my mom loved to mash garlic, and some tomatoes, just peeled and cut in fourths. And then she would uh, cook that for about 15, 20, for about 15 minutes and then drain that soup. Then she'd bring the meat back into the pot, add some more water, and I'll tell you why she drained that soup. And then you add all the vegetables, including the zucchini, but little by little so that they would all be at the perfect, you know, degree of cooking. So there'd still be a little, you know, bite. Then she would take that stock that she reserved, and that is what she would serve you. Mm-hmm. And then add, so that was like a pure beef, wonderful flavor. And, and then she would add, yeah, then she would add all the vegetables. And one of the vegetables was zucchini. So, of course, you would immediately finish the soup, and then she would bring out vinegar and oil, oh. and, she, and she would pour it over the, the vegetables. Oh good. You know, this sounds exactly like a pot of feu. Yeah, pot of feu. I was about to say. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So, that, so that, was, that was one soup. And in, in El Paso, when you all were little and I was being a social worker, there were places there where people would go eat just caldo. Mm-hmm. The cocido, that's all they had served in communal tables. And you would go and some of them had rice because a lot of people like to cook the, add the Mexican rice. Other ones had uh, chickpeas. So, but that was the cocido and it's, and they're still very much used in different parts of Mexico where people just go have that for, for lunch at, at communal tables. Yeah. Like the, I remember being in, and Tepeji de Rio, outside of Mexico City, and then we had a lamb barbacoa, or there might have been a mutton barbacoa, but it was cooked in a pit. And underneath, what they did is they put a, a bunch of cabbage and chickpeas, and then all of the broth from the roasting of the lamb fell in there, and they call that consume. Yeah. And that right there, and they'll put some zucchini in there, and that right there is the essence of the animal. Yes. Oh, man, that's delicious. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the masita. Yeah. Where they where they put the the cracked corn in it, the lamb on the top, and then mm-hmm. it drips on it, and mm-hmm. then becomes this wonderful mash. Yes, definitely. Well, you mentioned something interesting, Anna, about how it, it migrated to the Caribbean and how it became such an, uh, a staple in, in, their, in the different cuisines of the Caribbean. I recall vividly in my first book, La Comida del Barrio, I had a recipe for pasteles in there, like the like the Puerto Rican tamal, if you will. And one they have there, they had something called viandas. And the viandas yes. were all the root vegetables. And one of those being included was the pumpkin. Mm-hmm. And that would be grated. And then that would form the base or the masa for the pasteles. And, uh, and I remember it very vividly. Well, that's what, yeah. what they do in Sole de Vega and uh, 
in Oaxaca. They make the tamales, incorporate the pureed pumpkin into the masa, the corn masa, and make the tamal usually on a banana leaf filled with black beans. So it's, it's just delicious. And in Veracruz, they make these garnachas with mixing the, the ground pumpkin in the masa and then forming it into little boat shapes and serving it with chorizo. Well, uh, when Aron was mentioning the viandas, V-I-A-N-D-A-S, in Cuba and in the Hispanic Caribbean, that's a term for um, these things that they absolutely love, which are tubers. Yeah. They all grow underground. The niame. The niames, the malanga. The boniato. Yeah, yeah. Boniato is like this white. Sweet potato. Yep. And the only thing that they include that isn't an underground vegetable is the the pumpkin. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Absolutely, 100%. And, and that that is just wonderful. You're absolutely on the same page. I, I remember going to the the market there, uh, uh, the Mercado there on Essex Street around the corner from my restaurant, and they would have all those wonderful tubers. And I remember very vividly seeing this machine that someone jimmy-rigged that it looked like a half a blender with like a washing machine <laughs> that was used to grate the, the tubers to make pasteles. And I remember seeing it right next to a stand. It says, para, para pasteles. I'm like, oh, my God. So, well, Ann, you know, we are just we're just overwhelmed and, and so grateful for your presence here. We had the pleasure of inviting Ann Mendelssohn, a writer, culinary historian, and more than anything, a, a member of our family. You have known me since I was a child. You have been an integral part of every holiday we've had. You had just always been there. I consider you an aunt, a mother figure, uh, and it really, really gives me a lot of joy that you are here. Uh, we couldn't be more grateful. If people want to reach out to you, Ann, and, and, and continue to uh, get some of that wonderful knowledge that you contain, how can they get in touch with you? Well, um, or do you not want people reaching out to you, Anne? <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can give you my email. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, the email. The okay, um, <laughs> it is a n n e at a n n e m e n d e l s o n dot com. Outstanding. And then you know we've mentioned a lot of recipes today, mm-hmm. so. I will make sure that you have everything in there except the siglipak and the papatsules. Because I'm sorry, but I was never able to to do, you know, to extract that oil from the pumpkin seeds. I'll just buy some from Austria <laughs> and put it in there. But everything else, you'll find the cocido, you'll find the zucchini cakes, you'll find um, the calabacitas con queso, which are the most important recipe in my life because every time I make it, I, it takes me back to the ranch where I grew up in Chihuahua and everything else. And, and besides that, you can always write to me. And if you need a recipe, I'll post it. Oh, where do they find you, Mom? At sarela.com. Outstanding. And uh, for all of you, uh, I know I mentioned the pasteles recipe. I have it in my first book, La Comida del Barrio. I'll, I'll make sure that I post it on my website, uh, chefaronsanchez.com. Um, and again, you can write to me at Aron at chefaronsanchez.com and I'll make sure that I get back to you guys, or I should say my, my assistant, <laughs> but I, I, I will definitely read it and definitely give my feedback. So we want to thank all of you guys for listening here on HRN. Uh, we are over the moon. We had a lovely guest today, Ann Mendelson. She has enlightened us. 
She has brought us joy and put smiles on our faces. Uh, so we'll see you next time on Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. Gracias. Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is powered by Simple Cast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without your support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>